Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we pray that you open our minds and our hearts to hear your word this morning. May your spirit move among us inspiring us and drawing us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the sense of anticipation in our home right now is almost overwhelming. (laughs) As soon as those Thanksgiving leftovers went into the refrigerator, all the Christmas decorations came out, including several Advent calendars counting down the days until Christmas. Now, looking at all those red numbers between now and then, the kids know the waiting is going to be hard. So in order to combat their discouragement, they fill those days with all kinds of festive activities to prepare for the arrival of both Santa Claus and the Christ child. So in addition to decking their rooms with all kinds of homemade ornaments from construction paper and tape, they dig up every Christmas cookie recipe known to man because Santa Claus, they say, gets mighty hungry and requires a diverse selection of treats. Although I kind of suspect they require a diverse selection of treats too, but it's it's for Santa, so it's okay. And then this, this strangely large pile of movies grows beside the television because it is not Christmas if we skip even one of them. So all of these busy days... They start to accumulate, and Christmas arrives more quickly than we realize, giving purpose and fulfillment to all of that exciting anticipation leading up to it. Children are masters at watching and waiting. They believe miracles happen and dreams come true without too much effort because they are driven by this deep sense of hope. And perhaps some of us remember what it was like to be a child at Christmas even if our hopes and dreams have changed a bit with age. But Advent in particular evokes visions of how things ought to be. At the holidays, we dream of peaceful moments filled with joy, of sharing meals and time with loved ones, and of pausing to reflect on happy memories and imagine auspicious days to come. And yet the reality of how things often are disturbs that hope we seek. It's as though we've unpacked this box of 
brilliant, glorious ornaments and stumble upon a hidden pile of broken, ugly decorations that we tried really hard to forget about. As we hold both of them before us, there's this struggle of how to make sense of them, how to hold them together, how the broken fits with the perfect. Because no how much tape or glue we apply, those ornaments remain hopelessly broken. There's this fractured globe that has not been whole in, the, in all the years we've hung it on our tree. There's that old family tree ornament with the names that keep falling off. There's, there's the cracked picture of the old friend who just kind of walked away all those years ago and we don't know what happened. And then there's that ornament we made when we were a child. So battered and worn by time and life. It's been through so much and looks nothing like it did when we first made it. Observing the fragments, memories of waiting for things that never came to pass can threaten to obscure the beautiful, miraculous dreams that once fueled our hopes. The resulting grief or disappointment could tempt us to quit our watch and abandon all hope. Scripture reminds us, however, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And one way that God cares for the hopeless is by reminding his people of who he is and who we are as children of his covenant promises. The Lord evokes a true vision of reality in him, which transcends the disheartening situations in which we often find ourselves. And one such vision comes to us from the prophet Isaiah, who offers a vibrant image of God's promises through the anticipated arrival of the Messiah and his kingdom. That's why we love reading Isaiah at Christmas time, because he of all the prophets has the most beautiful and hopeful image of the coming Messiah. Conveying both the majesty and humility of the Messiah, Isaiah's prophecy encouraged Israel during a time of great darkness and national tragedy as they faced the consequences of their sin. Faithlessness, idolatry, and corruption had broken their relationship with God and broke their nation, allowing foreign armies to come in and invade and obliterate their very existence. Homes, cities, and the temple itself were destroyed, along with hopes for any kind of future, let alone a good one. Existence felt fragile and subject to overwhelming forces beyond anyone's control. Of course, feeling vulnerable in an out-of-control world remains a hallmark of life. But Isaiah reminds us that despite all appearances, God remains firmly in control and will someday be universally acknowledged. Eventually, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. God's reign is not hidden or overruled. There are no competing narratives or values vying for dominance. All signs are gone of humanity's struggle against the powers and principalities of this world. And surprisingly, the temple where God dwells is chief among all the mountains in the world, which differs from what we observe of Zion today. In Jerusalem, the temple rested on more of a large hill than a mountain as we might know it. Maybe God will literally shake the earth in that time and and raise it up to rival Everest or Kilimanjaro. Or perhaps 
What makes it chief and raised up isn't so much height, but rather God's delight in elevating the humble, recognizing the meek, and making ordinary things extraordinary through his loving presence. Regardless, Isaiah promises that a divine ripple effect begins when God sits on his throne in his rightful place, reorienting the rest of the world to this truth. What follows next is a profound echo of life in Eden before the fall. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they rejected God's will in order to govern on their own terms and choose their own way of life. They wandered away from the Lord and his promises towards exile, confusion, and death. But in Isaiah's prophecy, people from around the globe with miraculous unity of purpose return from exile, seeking the Lord's instruction. It's as though God's words to Solomon in the Proverbs fell afresh upon creation. He says, my children, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. So with repentant hearts and open minds, people stream towards the one true source of life, forsaking every false idol or deception that held them captive. Now notice the people in this vision, they, they bypass temple gates, flow through all of the chambers of the, of the temple, and are never stopped by a priest so that he can go in and intercede on their behalf. Isaiah's vision leads us to believe that humanity flooded that inner chamber, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelled, and that they had unrestricted access to him, which is shocking because in those times, you died instantly because the sin of humanity could not be in the holiness of God and survive. But that does not happen here. Instead of them dying on the spot, God's presence floods them with goodness and light. Creator and creation are reconciled. And as the people embrace God's teaching and learn how to walk in his ways, they then expand the kingdom by carrying his truth out from Zion back into the world. Through believers' own lives, the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. In doing this, humanity fulfills the role for which God originally created them, to be co-laborers and partners with him as stewards of the world. In the beginning, he and Adam and Eve were to bless Eden together, but Adam and Eve rejected God in favor of their own rule. <clears throat> Noah was called to partner with God to establish a new Eden after the floods had cleansed the earth of wickedness, but Noah and his family could not overcome the wickedness in their own hearts. Israel was to be a light, the light of the world a nation called to live according to God's law to be different, holy, set apart, and as such, from that position of strength, to bless the world as God's chosen people. But they chose worldly ideas of glory and power and were destroyed. Although humanity's brokenness repeatedly severed covenants with God and derailed the kingdom's growth, God never abandoned his plan to work with, in, and through flawed people to achieve his salvific plan for creation. Here, in Isaiah's prophecy, that vision is realized, and the consequences are global. 
As God's word spread and his will takes root, the nations of the world wake up. Putting aside their own histories and their own sense, cultural sense of wisdom and their laws, they turn to God for justice. And that is some good news to sit in, especially at this day and age as we take in the nations of our world and the conflicts we witness. As God's word, sorry, we are each of us born into this world with centuries of history and conflict and progress. There's no, we don't get born and there's no pause button for us to catch up and get up to speed with everything that has happened and everything that is going on. And because of that, none of us has all the facts or the full truth. It's all so complicated and shrouded in motives of people long gone, but whose actions or decisions or ideas continue to influence the world. In fact, so many of today's global conflicts did not begin in our time, but were set in motion decades or even centuries ago. And the grudges just won't fade or be healed. Even within something as close as families, we cope with events and patterns that originated generations ago and linger in the memory and the behaviors of our families today. It's too much to untangle because no one is all-seeing, all-knowing, or able to fully discern the motives of others. Only an eternal God who knows the historically deep wounds of all parties, who sees every transgression, and who desires the restoration of all, with impartiality can arbitrate perfect peace. Under a sovereign God who reigns in truth, are the nations liberated from the fear and insecurity that had bound them in endless hostility. And this good news, humanity as a whole is restored to their original purpose. They beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, refashioning instruments of war into literal new creations of stewardship. Enemies become friends, warriors become farmers, and all live at peace with God and their neighbor. In this vision, so profound is the transformation under God that by reforming those weapons into tools of service, they participate in the restoration of the world, of repairing and cleaning up the mess that we have made over the centuries. The prophet Micah, who repeats Isaiah's vision, includes a final image of peace, saying, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig, and no one will make them afraid, because all are safe, all are valued, all are understood and loved and given purpose by their maker. The old has gone and the new has come. Much of Isaiah's vision, of course, has already come to pass. We can see Jesus all over this text. Christ has come. He has bridged that gap of sin between humanity and God, and he has planted his kingdom in our hearts so that we may return to co-laboring with God in his mission to the world. The reformation of our hearts is at work as the church strives to build, cultivate, and practice holy stewardship of all God's good things. But this vision is not complete. There is still unrelenting wickedness, violence, hostility, and evil that desires to drown out the truth 
and quench the light. Nations continue to take up swords against nation. Training for war has not diminished. And even the faithful are not immune to tragedy, grief, or trauma. That box of ornaments remains a mixed-up collection of the beautiful and the wretched. But as children of a faithful God, we are not forsaken, and we never have been. The assurance we find in Christ is that the shattered ornaments of the world do not define us, our lives, or our future. Though we may grow weary and discouraged, Jesus empowers us to lay hold of the kingdom now and the sure hope of its fulfillment to come. And Isaiah's prophecy, it inspires and reminds us to keep watch, to keep, stay awake, to train our eyes constantly on Christ, the true miracle and wonder and the authentic dream come true. Because in Christ, our hope is grounded and sustained when hostility threatens to dominate and wonders seem scarce. As we encounter the world this Advent and beyond, may we heed Isaiah's call to walk in the light of the Lord. Let us fill our days like children awaiting Christmas morning, joyfully preparing for the final fulfillment of Christ's rule, remembering that our Lord already reigns in us today. Assured by his presence, may we trust that even now, he is transforming our hearts and minds and empowering us to participate in the restoration of his world. We never watch or wait in vain, for Christ promises to heal the broken rifts that sin tore apart, to redeem all that's been lost, and to restore everything to its proper place. As Paul writes in Hebrews, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary where we find that we are safe in his loving presence today and for all eternity. Amen.